everybody welcome to the 173rd edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here in beaverton oregon got my cool g rap t-shirt on i'm feeling mighty gangster and this is honestly the first the first holy backboard that's gonna be on youtube so we wanted to show out i sort of cleaned my office not really but you can't see that much shit in the behind me and that's dope but uh, you, you know, I had to bring out the, the vintage heat for the first YouTube uh, <laughs> episode. So, yeah, you, you got the vintage uh, hat. I got Cool G Rap. We're ready to go, man. Ain't no other yep. Blazers podcast talking Cool G Rap in the first two minutes. <laughs> we got Cool G Rap and we got Zubaz Terry Porter 1990 hat. This is why you're here. This is why you listen. Thank you so much. It's been a minute, but frankly, there hasn't been much to talk about up until... Now, we had FanFest kicked everything off last Sunday. Portland has played 60% of their preseason games. All of their home schedule has been completed. They do have two more back-to-back against the Jazz and and Denver Nuggets. Um, Sage, there's been a lot that has gone on since FanFest, and and it's trying to figure the right phrasing for this because – I didn't expect this podcast to be as deep as we're going to go into it, but I'm a little concerned early on. How are you feeling? Uh, I mean, I hate to use the the phrase that's going around, but it's preseason, and there's so much turnover. It's like eight or nine rotation players coming into this team. To expect them to be on point and hitting at full targets on uh, – you know, game three of the preseason is kind of a little frust. It, it, it it's not, it's not a real uh 100% accurate thing. Like you can't, you you remember those Spurs teams with the manager Nobly and Tony Parker, and they'd switch really really well. That took years of you know continuity. We're trying to compete with guys that have played together maybe like ten times in practice. So yeah, like watching watching them miss rotation sucks, but it's understandable. I understand that, and (laughs) in theory, to me, it all makes sense. But if we look at the first three games for the Blazers, opening opening night preseason in the Memorial Coliseum against Denver without Nikola Jokic, 105-94 loss. Obviously, Damon CJ just play a half of basketball. Two nights later, they take on uh, Haifa with basically no Dame, CJ, Nurk, Hassan, and blow them out. Uh, 104 68 and then Saturday's game back at the Rose Garden a 134 118 loss to the Phoenix Suns who showed up in Portland without Ricky Rubio without DeAndre Ayton and without Devin Booker and Sage our guys played regular season rotation minutes for the most part Uh, I wasn't too concerned about the Denver game because they kind of treated it as more of an homage to the first season obviously the whole staff came out in their 70s attire which was incredible terry was looking dapper uh the entire staff actually was dressed to the nines from the 70s we were in our sweet vintage unis in the glass palace where it all started and 
a lot of the training camp guys got a lot of run. So you don't really take too much from game one. Obviously, you love to see Simons put up 22, Scal grab uh, 15 boards, just completely dominate Haifa. But why I am starting to get concerned was that Phoenix game. I went in there knowing the rosters going into that that game. They were without those three players, arguably their three best players. And Sage, we looked disinterested. We looked like we couldn't care less that basketball was back. Everyone outside of C.J. McCollum and Sparks from Kent Bazemore moving at half speed. To me, if I am a member of the Portland Trailblazers, we're coming off of the best season in 19 years, making it to the Western Conference Finals. You now have everyone in the media saying, you're the team that's going to drop off. You may not even make the playoffs. Not only do I use that as motivation, but I use our previous season's success as motivation. I want to get to the top. We got swept. Regardless of where it occurred, we got swept and we blew big leads in three of those four contests. I just would have expected a little bit more urgency, a little bit more fire, a little bit more enthusiasm, to be quite frank, coming into the preseason. And it's not like the preseason is seven or eight games like it once was. It's five games, Sage, and you're mm. playing in front of your home home fans. Uh, I just don't think it is the right mindset. I don't think it is the right tone to set as you ramp up the 50th anniversary season in what is slated to be the most difficult Western Conference maybe in my lifetime as a fan, which dates back to 1990. Uh, I know we discussed our predictions a couple of episodes ago in, in the late summer, and I've had some time to think about it, Sage, and I don't know where I heard it. It might have been on, on, on Rip City 2, but I, I don't think you're going to see as much load management as maybe we saw last year across the Western Conference. This conference is going to be a bloodbath, and if you don't bring your best over the course of 82 games, one, you may not make the playoffs, two, you may not get the seed you want, three, you may not get home court advantage. Seeding and matchups are going to be everything in April. That, to me, is what is going to determine who's going to come out of the Western Conference. There are simply too many great teams that there's not one team above the rest that says, this is the odds-on favorite. They have all of the talent in the world. They're just going to flip the switch, and you know they're the preseason pick, and like we've seen in the past with Golden State. It could be a litany of teams, and it's going to come down to who takes the regular season the most serious. And again, I, I'm just concerned. Um, not saying anybody should be on the hot seat, anybody should be fired or traded, but to me, it's not a great start when we are one week removed from FanFest, and I'm already asking myself, should I be concerned that what I just witnessed last last night? I mean, to me, that felt as close to a regular season loss without it impacting the standings as one loss could feel. Uh, just not a good look for what I thought was a veteran team po um, posed to make a run in the West. I mean, yeah, they didn't they didn't play their best, but. I think right now is a perfect time to experiment with lineups and, you know, rotations that are kind of odd. You saw it with Anthony Tolliver starting with uh, Hassan. You, like, that shouldn't be the starting lineup. It, Zach should have that role because he's a superior player. But it's, like, just about rotations. Like, there are going to be times where those two, Hassan and Tolliver, play together, and you got to see if it works. And this is kind of like a, 
low pressure environment for them to try things that, you know, wouldn't work just to experiment and see. So I'm not taking these losses very seriously at all. It's just, there's a difference between a dress rehearsal and the actual thing. I'm waiting to see with the, in the actual games that matter, are they coming out kind of shitty? Then I'm going to worry. But if they're playing hard and making the right rotations, all of this shit is just, it, it, it doesn't matter. This, these games don't matter. You've got to, I got to see it when it actually matters against the Nuggets in the regular season. I think that is still a slippery slope. Absolutely it is. But because I, what's the what's the old adage? Practice makes perfect. You should prepare like it's the real deal because when the real deal shows up, you've been there. That's old hat. It, it's bothersome that they aren't taking it as seriously uh, as they should. Um Bottom line, and I completely agree that it is time to check what rotations work the best, who should be starting. Um, I will say Tolliver starting instead of Zach Collins was a major head-scratcher because the entire reason we let Alfaruq Aminu go to the Orlando Magic was to usher Zach Collins into that starting four. And with Zach new to the starting lineup, Hassan new to the team— I would have used all of these five games as much as possible to give them as much run together to get some chemistry because the first 20 games of the mm -hmm. season are absolutely brutal. I, I just don't understand saying, oh, we're going to, you know, Hassan, we're going to rest you for the second game. And then the third game, we're going to let Anthony Tolliver play uh, alongside you. I, I would love to hear Terry Stotts's reasoning and rationale for, for that decision. Um, to me, more of the the rotation should be okay. Do we want to play Bazemore? Do we want to play Hood? Uh, how do, how does Anthony Simons look alongside Damon CJ? What do those, some of those bench units look like? Uh, but to me, the starting lineup should be kind of set in stone uh, given the top talent uh, of this roster. So mm -hmm. that was a bit bit of a head scratcher for me. Well, I mean, yo, it, it, it's kind of yo. We just this is the time to see what Tolliver and Hassan can do. But I get it. Like, we really should be putting major resources and making sure that uh, Zach and Hassan have a good chemistry and know each other's skills and weaknesses. But, you know, it's I I'm going to trust Terry Stoss on this one. And if he wants to just b do some experimentation on lineups, I'd rather it be today than in 10 days from now or 11 days from now when the re regular season starts. I mean, do you expect the team to go out and be good day one? Because I think it's going to take a while for these teams that have a lot of turnover. Like, damn near every good team this, in this conference has had major turnover. I don't expect them to be hitting on all cylinders day one. I think it's going to be a process of them learning from each other. So I kind sure. of expect them not to be as crisp as as the team last year was. Oh, obviously, I don't expect them to play at the level they were playing against the Denver Nuggets in the postseason or even how they were firing at all cylinders post-All-Star break. But do I expect them to be good? Absolutely. There's too much talent not to be good. Uh, I think where they move from great to elite comes from months of playing together, mm -hmm. Nurkic returning. But good, absolutely. They better be good. Otherwise, they are not going to make the playoffs come April. That's what I'm trying to say. There needs to be some urgency because every game matters in the Western Conference. 
This isn't the Cleveland Cavaliers of the Eastern Conference with LeBron James where you can literally sleepwalk 60 games into the season and still get the top seed. This is the 50th anniversary season. This is one of Damian Lillard's six, seven remaining prime years. Mm. Don't take this shit for granted, Rip City. Like, yes, we made it to the Western Conference Finals, and that's amazing, but we can't just sit back and say, oh, that was an awesome year. I'm satisfied. No, we have to hold this team accountable. And yes, there are going to be learning curve. There is going to be a huge learning curve, and I think everyone should expect that. Um, and I understand that there were 22 turnovers, 24, 22 or 24 turnovers last night. Uh, what worries me is that 17 of those turnovers came from Dame, CJ, and Hassan. Um, that that is that is not not a good sign. That your three your building blocks really are the ones that are turning the ball over. I mean, you don't. Anthony Simons played a whole game against Haifa in 30 minutes, didn't turn the ball over. Um, yes, they need to work on the pick and rolls. Is Hassan even going to be utilized in the pick and roll? He had a really he struggled mightily setting screens throughout yeah, he the first. He slipped it before they even made contact. Through the first 24 minutes. Uh, but if you play do you think Zach, it might have been the ankle that was making him a little uh, nervous about creating contact? Or do you? I mean, he does slip screens because he is athletic. But this this was a bad one where he was just slipping screens before there was even an inch of space generated by the screen. I mean, it, it could be a, a number of things. And a lot of it probably is going to be with the lack of experience he has playing with our ball handlers. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I am completely okay with turnovers as long as they look like they're growing pain turnovers. And they are going to happen. What bothered me last night was the complete and utter disinterest from the majority of the team i saw aaron baines probably could have made a sandwich had some chips and some sweet tea before Hassan even knew he had the ball twice on three-point shots maybe once is a prove-it shot but at least make an effort to go out there uh just the rotations on on the three-point shots were abysmal phoenix set a new franchise record for an opponent with 24 three-pointers made they were only three shy of the nba record could you and imagine again, a monty williams coach team doing that too that's and this insane. was without devin booker yeah. i mean and i know a lot of people were saying oh man they were just hitting everything well yeah they started hitting some tough shots but you know what happens when you're an nba player and you give them a rhythm Mm-hmm. Once they hit the easy ones, the hard ones are going to just going to feel just like the easy ones. They it's all mental and muscle memory. So once you get a good, you know, sweat and rhythm going, it's lights out. Portland allowed them early on to believe they could win. And Phoenix looked like they wanted to be there. Um, yes, it's preseason. And thankfully, it, it does not count. But, you know, I have not been that bummed out over a preseason game probably in, in forever. And, and it could be because I'm. I'm pretty snake bitten by this franchise. I mean, you you look at every year we're supposed to be really good. I mean, you go back to when we drafted Greg Oden. What happens? Tears his ACL. Okay. What happens the year after we win 54 games? That's the 40th anniversary season. Everyone got hurt. We didn't even get out of the first run of the playoffs. You know, what happened after Dame hit the shot against Houston? The following year, West goes down and that season gets derailed. You know, what happened the year after we beat the Clippers in the first round? The team thought they were too good. 
got a little bit really high on themselves. 2016. Yeah, did not scrap like they were supposed to in 2017. It took a miracle trade to get Nurkic just to get to the eighth seed, where then we ended up getting swept. So this team does have a history of thinking they can just go out and win on talent when that is the absolute opposite way. This team is a talented team, but they don't have elite talent, especially across the board. And when they play well, it's when they really go out and scrap and claw and play with an urgency and a swagger. We saw that against the Thunder. We saw that against the Nuggets. And it stretches against the Warriors. But we've also seen this team when they, they play a little too cool for school and they, they think they're good enough. I and mean, I remember, oh, God, maybe 2015, when the 76ers were just straight up tanking for the process. And Ed Davis went on CJ's radio show saying, we got this shit. We got this shit against the, the Sixers. And then the, the Sixers, became, were, they still have NBA talent. They can still ball, and they beat us. So, I mean, definitely there is a narrative of them not being too, too being too cool for school, but it's not these players. I mean, there's a lot of turnover on this team. So hopefully, all these veteran guys know we got to turn this shit up. I know we don't have the talent for it, but like we need to actually put our thinking caps on and focus. I think that we will see them be more serious as the preseason goes on against Utah and Denver. Well, I think they're really only they're really only going to get one chance to do it. I would be surprised if Terry Stotts plays them big minutes in a back-to-back scenario at Denver. But Wednesday in Utah, I would expect that to be the the most dress rehearsal yeah. that you can get leading up to a regular season game and I believe it's only on radio. So I when I hear Come it Come on, Trailblazers, yeah. that's some bullshit. I get, yo, I get a Euro team when you're not broadcasting. And it was cool to hear Norris Cole and Brandon Rush's name being think that they still play basketball. But it's the Utah Jazz. That's a playoff team. We're a playoff team. Come on, guys. Rip City Maniacs want to see this game. And yeah, I, I want to see how they respond, Yeah, uh, quite frankly. You know, I, I know this team is issuing in a lot of new players, and individually you know it's it's really strange how i'm feeling about this team in, in the present state because individually i like what a lot of the players are bringing i, I think Bazemore is going to be a fan favorite i love his defense he looks like he's gonna play the passing lanes quite a bit his super three point, well super his three point shot looks wet uh, love him coming off the bench still can't believe we got him for evan turner that is a, a steal uh, I really love how LeBissier ha- has played given larger minutes. Um, Zach Collins looks like looks like he belongs. He mm-hmm. has gained noticeable muscle, even though his three point shot hasn't really dropped. He's shooting it with considerable amounts uh, of confidence. He's hitting the mid range. He still misses a few bunnies around the rim, but his weak side defense has been incredible. Very very happy with how Zach has been playing cj looked like the 13th best player in the nba which espn rated him against the phoenix suns i mean 27 points 10 of 17 from the field i mean just looked like he He looked locked in he he was ready to he looked like an all-star very happy with cj i i think hazonia is going to be a really nice piece off the bench 
I love his ability to push the ball first and foremost. The highlight against uh, Haifa where he got the ball on the sidelines and just ran down the court for the two-hand jam. Uh, the, he and Zach even had a, a nice give-and-go alley-oop. Uh, he's very unselfish. There was a play against the Suns where the possession before he shot a three and, and, it, and it missed. He had another opportunity, but instead he swung the ball around to Simons. Simons hit the three. Um, speaking of Penny, his three-point shot has been Confident pure. as hell, dog. I mean, I've really enjoyed watching him him play and grow, but collectively, they look like they look like a unit who is incorporating a, a lot of new talent. Mm. And again, if it wasn't about the effort, I'd be okay. Like, yeah, we just gotta we gotta get these guys incorporated. But what I watched on Saturday night left me with a, a really poor taste in my mouth. And you know, they've got two games to really set the tone. Before, before it begins, because if this team truly thinks that they can just mentally flip their switch come October 23rd, they're going to get run out of the gym by the Denver Nuggets because that that team has a bitter taste left in their mouths. Absolutely. And Portland, they're the ones who are responsible for it, and they need they are now the hunted. They're no mm. longer the hunter. They, they are the hunted in the Western Conference. People are not going to sleep on them. They made they ruined the Oklahoma City Thunder. They ruined the Denver Nuggets' magical season. Um, you know Russ is going to be ready to go in Houston against them. You know Paul George is going to be ready to go against them in Los Angeles. They did not make any allies last year, and as it should be. Yeah, I mean you don't want people to, you know, think of good thoughts about your franchise. You want Absolutely. them to be pissed off because they got bodied. I got a few questions for you about this team. Uh, in the preseason, do you think Hazonio is going to be a, um, what do you think his role is? Is he a consistent rotation player? Is he the, uh, small ball four? What do you think his role will be? Oh, cause we have a, we have a lot of talents. We have and a lot of talent in his position group too. So what do you think his role will be? You know, it's interesting to say because Nurkic aside, I think the Blazers have seven players that are guaranteed to get minutes every single night. You've got the starting five, which I'm projecting to be Dame, CJ, Rodney, Zach, Hassan. And I think Bazemore and Anthony are guaranteed spots off the bench. So to me, the biggest question marks and the biggest minutes that are up for basically up for grabs are at the three, four and five. Mm -hmm. And, Hazonia, Labissier, Gasol, Tolliver, they're all in the mix to, to get that time. I would say at this point, he's definitely got to be eighth or ninth off the bench. I mean, what he gives this team is something that we just don't have. I mean, you're looking at a legit 6'9", 240 big who can push the ball, has great vision. And I, I think once they get comfortable playing with one another – you're going to start to see some of the passes that Evan Turner was making, especially those lobs to Jake Lehman. I think he's going to start to get in rhythms with guys that he plays in certain rotation groups with. Um, the other big, I would like to see it go to Scal. Uh, I think he has the most upside. Uh, frankly, when we signed Am uh, Anthony Tolliver, I, I was pretty excited because he is a specialist. But with that comes... I wouldn't say do or die mentality, but in a sense, if you're not hitting your three point shot, 
or in his case, even shooting the ball. Mm. I mean, he played 18 minutes last night and took one field goal attempt. If you're not getting open, he really has no role on on the roster because you're not going to dump it to him. You're not going to play ISO ball. And he's still not the fleetest uh, of foot on, on the defensive end. He's a very smart and intelligent player, but he is a 10 year vet. So he's got a lot of wear and tear. To me, he reminds me of a James Jones, the one year we had him. If you're not hitting your three, probably don't need to be playing. And then Pau Gasol, I really think we are going to save him yeah. as much as possible. Um, probably, I, I would not believe we see him on back-to-backs. I think they're going to really slow move him in, into the rotation uh, probably by mid-November, even maybe even later. These are just thoughts. I mean, it's taken him this long to recover. And he, and he is 39, he's so you want to take he's your an time. He's an older guy. Uh, but I, Scal, I like I like Scal. I think um, he deserves I think he deserves uh ninth tenth man minutes. I think Pau Gasol really for this year is just going to be break glass in case of need center type of type of thing because we we have guys that can play, and I I think that you would the only time you don't see Hazonia in at the four is when it's like a traditional four or five. Then I think you put Tolliver in just because of the bulk that he takes up. Um, but I, I like what Hazonia is doing. I just, I just think that Tolliver is going to get more minutes than we're expecting right now. Um, another question I have from, Hey man, it, it is what it is. We don't, we, we're not the, we're not the warriors of old. We have to have some weaknesses. I think Tolliver is the, the weakness on the four, but you know, if he's hitting, he'll be fine. What do you think, uh, Scalabissier's ceiling can be? What do you think? the type of player he could be. I mean, he, he kind of looks like a young Pau Gasol. The way he gets in the post, he's able to shoot the ball. I mean, that that's who he kind of, I mean, you're talking peak? That That's that's the peak for me. What, what I would like to see from Scal is just consistency, mm-hmm. um, confidence, gets the ball, knows what he's going to do. Again, that comes with coaching. That comes with knowing you're not going to get pulled. Um, and, and defensively knowing where he needs to be in his rotations, he's really good from what I've seen so far in the preseason of just hanging around the rim, especially on the offensive glass, the a pogo few tip, stick, a few tip dunks. I think playing with Hassan and Nurk and Pow and Zach in practice and hopefully picking up on some of their defensive instincts is really going to take his game. I think if you're expecting any more than just a serviceable bench player from Scal, I think you're setting your expectations a bit too high. But if he can come in for 15, 18 minutes a night and get you eight, nine points, a few boards, and just be a positive, a net positive, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's really what you want from your bench. You want somebody who's a specialist and that when you put them in there, you're not afraid that that lead's going to evaporate. You want someone who's going to keep things steady while you're really good players are resting up to make that push. And I think that's what he can be. He just needs time. And really, while Nurkic is rehabbing and so is Gasol, for what I've seen, he's deserved it. He, mm-hmm. he deserves to get some time to showcase what, what he can be. I love that the hustle mentality that he plays with because he was a blue chip recruit. Remember in Kentucky, it was Ben Simmons and him who was going to be the first pick. So first he picks, has yep. skills. He has skills. So, of course... You know, being on the Kings at that time of being on the Kings was just so detrimental to young young prospects. You know, Ben McLemore was supposed to be elite. Uh, he was supposed to be elite. You know, 
being in a good scenario with players that trust him and coaches that trust him now too is going to be good. I really want him to be a high energy big this year. If he's that, I'm I'm super thankful that he's on the roster. Absolutely. And a question I have is, I'm leaning more Kent Bazemore to be the starter, but Rodney Hood be the finisher. Do you do you really think that uh, Rodney Hood's going to be the starting small forward? I think Rodney should be the starting small forward because if you look back to the Denver series and to the Golden State series, when Portland put their best lineups on the floor, it was Dame, CJ, Rodney, Zach, and Ennis. We have four of those guys. Rodney Hood is a starting caliber player in this league. I mean, you looked at it. What was the first play they ran against the Denver Nuggets in the preseason? Post up. They posted Rodney on Jamal Murray. Kent Bazemore and Rodney Hood are different players, and I disagree with Neil Olshay in a sense that he thought that Kent Bazemore would be Rodney Hood's replacement. I I just don't see that. I, I think they're they're two different types of players, mm-hmm. both very talented and both very needed. But the better player is Rodney Hood, and, and we saw how good he could be in the playoffs when he gets into a rhythm and he starts to find his groove within the Trailblazers offense. I think he is an underrated defender. I love Kent Bazemore off the bench, and here's why. You always want a high-energy guy off the bench. I mean, the best teams can just bring that guy in, and he just keeps everybody up. He keeps everyone going. He sets that tone. He is the one that says, we're not only going to keep this league, we are going to extend it. Or if the starters have a rough start, okay, let's get our team back. Let's scrap and claw. He's going to play fantastic defense. He is going to get us a lot of fast-break points. And I I truly think that he is going to be, I think, a better scorer off the bench. Um, I think he's more than just a guy who you spot up in the corner with a Dame CJ type of offense. I I think you can run a little bit through him in certain situations, but I really just like how he can play with an up-tempo offense. And yeah, there are going to be nights that you'll see Rodney finish, and there are going to be nights you see Kent finish. It's going to be dependent on how the game goes, how it's flowing, and mm-hmm. matchup based. But to me, I think Bazemore is your sixth, seventh man off the bench along with Simons. Hopefully they get a lot of good chemistry together. But so far, I have been absolutely thrilled with what I've seen from Kent Bazemore. Again, cannot overstate this enough. How did we get him for Evan Turner? I mean, the upgrade is so real in, in every single aspect of basketball. Incredibly real. So... I think that Evan – wow, not Evan Turner. I don't need to say that name ever again. Um, no. I think that Kent Bazemore if – if I was coaching, I would have Kent be the starter, and I would have Rodney be the finisher if he's hot. I think Kent Bazemore can fit into the spot-up shooter more, role more, and I think that Rodney Hood off that bench against third and fourth string guards would feast, and I would like to see him – be another big another big scorer off the bench but either way it's a good problem to have your starting small forward be two legitimate nba players but i would like to see kent start the game and then rodney finish it do you think kent's big enough to be a small forward he's only six five he has long he has long he has long ass arms though but like how many how many small forwards in the league would straight up abuse Kent and Rodney. Like there's not that many small forwards that 
Kent couldn't defend, but Rodney could. If I'm you, just saying because we already have a small backcourt. Absolutely. It, it just, yeah, but like, like the whole uh, Kent too small thing doesn't really work because you know if there's a guy if it's LeBron James he's bodying Rodney Hood as well. If it's Paul George he's bodying Rodney as well. So I would I would take the you know eighty percent of the teams in the NBA that don't have that small forward that can punish and run uh, Kent Bazemore and be pretty damn happy about it. My philosophy is you get your five best guys and you start them or you finish them. Well, even like there were like even in Blazers past, I don't think like I don't think Noah Vonley was the best player. I think Ed Davis was a better player than him, but they started him because of you know they wanted to get a minute. So I I, I, thought, I, I thought Noah was. I, I, you're talking about the the president of the Noah Vonley fan club here. So I I, I get that. And I shit. I made money off him in daily fantasy this year. I'm Noah Vonley in the first part of the year with the Knicks. Gold in my eyes, dog. But I you know like sometimes it's good to have a punch of offense off the bench. Man, remember when it was only Mo Williams being the oh. only bench player? Like I would you... love to have a bench that not only keeps us in games but gets us a bigger lead. Like Rodney Hood and Anthony Simons off the bench is some firepower. I completely agree. I, I think, but I just think Baysmore and Simons is the combo. And, and I, I think it's Hood and, and uh, Penny. I mean, it's a good problem to have to have two good small forwards, bro. I don't remember when we've had two good small forwards on the Blazers. Two two thousand. Yeah, like it's been a minute since we had the depth. And I mean, they're not like all star potential, but they're legitimate NBA guys. It's not like we're playing with. Uh, like dude who could probably could be a two-way player getting major minutes for us or you know an un, two inconsistent small forwards fighting for minutes these guys are legitimate NBA players and they both deserve minutes i just think it's on stots to make sure that they give us enough offense for the times where it's the bench uh rotation and uh you know in that final 5 minutes man Whoever's the hot one is probably going to stay. Um, do you think CJ and Dame are going to play the majority of their minutes together? Or do you think we spread them out so at least one dude is on the floor at all times? I mean, that's another big decision that, that Terry Stotts has. to make. Has. I mm-hmm. mean, we've seen over the tenure of CJ and Dame, Terry go back and forth on on this. Frankly... I, I didn't think we were strong enough last year to have both of them off of the court at the same time. Uh, I didn't think our bench had enough firepower. But with the emergence of Anthony Simons, to me, I think you always want one of them on the floor because what's going to make Anthony the player that that he is? It's not just saying, okay, you're our sixth man. You're going to run the show when both CJ and Dame are out. And now the entire defense is going to focus and lock in on you. No, what it's going to be is you're going to surround Anthony with Kent Bazemore or Rodney Hood and one of Dame or CJ. And the defense is going to have to really respect those other players. So it allows Anthony to roam freely. And you have to give Anthony the the tools for success. And, and I think that's how you do it is putting him alongside other talented players because I'd feel really bad for, for Penny 
if we just said, jump into the deep end, you're going to run the show just like you did against the Kings in game 82, and you better perform like that. That's not going to work because he's still 19, 20 years old and is starting his second NBA season. Uh, so to me, do you think I, I kind of think of Anthony as redshirting that first year? So this is the legitimate, yeah, first real uh, run. Um, I think that in the beginning of the year, you're right. I don't think that Anthony will be able to run the show. But if he proves himself and you know keeps improving, I could definitely see him running the show by himself. Because just think about the power that you have when you're Terry Stotts, where you can put play CJ and Dame together. That if they're hitting, and I think that they have to be hitting together, that's going to be really difficult for teams to stop both of them at the same time. I mean, like this is CJ McCollum's year to shine. He is going to have the ball in his hands a lot. So if we could have them play like in the playoffs, where both of them were hitting at the same time. Dude, it's gonna make the 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 games a lot easier with just so much power in that offensive, uh, offensively. Um, I talked about how last year was a redshirt year for Anthony. Do you think it's a redshirt year for Nasir Little? You know, if you would have asked me that right after we drafted him, maybe even after summer league, I would have said absolutely. But after what I've seen from Anthony Tolliver and Mario Hazonia and just the entire roster, I, I've liked what I've seen from Hazonia. I, I like what Tolliver could potentially bring. But when Michael Porter Jr. was talking a lot of shit to the Blazers, Dame grabbed Nasir and he said, don't talk back, let your play do the talking. And that was one of the drawbacks to to Nasir's draft stock was can you keep him fully locked and loaded? Can you unleash that potential? He had a dribble where he went behind the back, he split the defender, got right past Porter Jr., went up and under for the and mm -hmm. one, and he played an extremely strong second half uh, against similar caliber players against the Denver Nuggets in that opening preseason game. He looked much better than he ever did at any stretch against the summer league competition. Mm -hmm. You watch him shoot threes as the teams warm up. He's knocking them down extremely consistently. 80% this is his retro year, but, you know, knock on wood, if there are any injuries, I hope that there aren't. I think you throw him in there a bit and see what he can do. Um, you have a leader like Dame, and if Dame can tap into this kid, I mean, he won the MVP of the Jordan Brand Classic. Uh, a guy named Zion Williamson was in that game as well. He was a top five recruit. Mm. He was supposed to be a top five draft pick. Things don't always go as planned when you're a one and done player, especially at a blue blood program yeah, like with, North Carolina. With, star, with seniors. Where seniors the... play, nothing but a national championship matters. And I don't care how highly you're rated, you're not just going to play based upon that ranking. So you kind of have to wait your turn a bit. So he didn't really get a chance to get into a groove at UNC. I think the Blazers really did get a steal at 25. Absolutely. And I, I think, yes, it's probably a redshirt year, but, man, I would really love to see if he's able to get, get some time because you're looking at a prototypical small forward when you look at Nasir Little. And if he, if he can put it all together in a few years, 
we're going to look back at that 2019 draft and and think, damn, like we won that draft. Absolutely. Just just like we're starting to look back at 2018, say, man, we got Simons, we got Trent. Like that 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 what a draft. Do you think Gary Trent's going to get real legitimate minutes? If by being in the rotation, no. But I think if you're playing him on on back to backs, absolutely. Um, it's unfortunate that at least I've seen this online in some of the forums that he's become the new Myers Leonard, the the player that every fan seems to love to hate on. Damn, and I, I'm sorry, I just Garrett. don't get it because he's a willing defender. I think he passes when he needs to. He's a chucker, and that's okay because he comes off the bench, and you need you need guys. Who you need offense off the bench. You need offense off the Irrational bench. Irrational confidence players are do really well as chuckers off the bench, and I think he has it. But he also has the archetype, the archetype, the skills that one would possess. Holybackboard.com <laughs> uh, <laughs> is, is sponsored by Grammarly. <laughs> it actually is. Don't lie. It is. It, I. I use it so I don't look like a total dummy when I'm writing texts and emails. Um, <laughs> but like, he has the that he has the body that he's thick, but he's strong but short, kind of like Buddy Heald and Wes Matthews. So he has all those things that you look for. And three point shooting was his thing coming out of college. He has a chance to be good. I just really don't think it's going to be on the Portland Trail Blazers. There's a lot. I could see it being on the Blazers. I mean, this kid would be a junior in college right now. I think we need to slow our role in terms of managing our expectations because not everyone is a Dame. Not everyone is even an Anthony Simons where they come out of nowhere. Now, all of a sudden, in their sophomore year, they're being hyped up at at end by, by the GM and by everyone within the organization. Players take time. You know, everyone talks about the Jermaine O'Neal for Dale Davis trade. Jermaine took a lot of time before that trade was like, oh, shit, we really fucked up there. Like, players develop at different stages. Mm -hmm. He is a second-round pick. It was a very low-cost, very minimal investment. It's not like we're asking him to come in and start or even be the sixth man. Let him be the 10th or 11th man, get his run, and just improve. He's on a cost-controlled contract. Given the nature of Portland's salary situation, we need to be welcoming those contracts with open arms. Just give the kid a chance. Mm -hmm. Do you think that – do you care about any of those guys uh, that would be like the third seat – like the the two-way contract guys? The second two-way contract? Like uh, in the Suns game, the last five minutes of the game, all of these players that I sort of remember but don't really know who they are – do you think any of them have a chance? Well, Horde is already one of our yeah. two-way contracts, and he he has had his moments um, played at Wake Forest. I think if you're going to use the other two-way contract, you might as well take a flyer on Moses Brown, who I believe just turned 20 from UCLA. Is he the guy he, with the dreads? Yeah, needs to hit the weight room. You know who he reminds me of? Who? Chris Johnson from LSU. From the Blazers? Yes. Uh, that's where I remember him from, really. Chris Johnson, oh, he had one memorable block in the 2011 playoffs against the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, th- so, that's who he reminds me of. Yeah, When absolutely. you look at the hips and look at how he moves, it's like, oh, that's Chris Johnson. What's up, man? I mean, Chris Johnson got a second and maybe third contract. Yeah, like, I mean, uh, 
So yeah, if we're talking about a two-way contract, that I would definitely look look at a look at a Moses Brown. That that'd be my pick. Like um, I was I was watching the game with my old boss from the radio station, and he was like, "Do you know any of these players?" I was like, "Nope, no, uh, that don't I don't think they're gonna be there that very very good." Oh wait, that dude moves like Chris Johnson used to. I like him. <laughs> yeah, it's. For me, when I see training camp guys go in into the game, I just kind of tune out a bit because yeah, that that that's me normally. They're they're not gonna make the roster. We may see them again in summer league, but it's more to just showcase them to European teams and maybe the G League as well to do them a, do them a solid. So, I kind of tune tune that out a bit. Mm-hmm. Same here. I think Horde has a chance because he's he's like actual. <laughs> Mo Harkless size and athleticism that like he has physical attributes that could be nice so it'd be good to keep him under that two-way contract but uh yeah I mean we we've definitely learned some stuff about uh our team in these first two televised games of the Portland Trailblazers Good or bad, yes, we, yeah. we have learned uh, about this team. Let's get to some fan questions, Sage. First, from Toby M. Green, wants to know, the Blazers haven't looked great in preseason, which is normal for how much turnover the roster has had. When does that switch come from give them time to panic? month or two into the season, unfortunately. For me, I'm going to say the first 20 games. And usually that that's a month into the season. I believe that takes us through November 29th, but we are going to be tested our first 20 games. Seven of them are at home while 13 of them are away from the friendly confines. 12 of those games are against teams that made the playoffs in in 2019. And I think if Portland can honestly be 10 and 10 through the first 20 games, they're going to be fine Dope, yeah. just because of the history of Terry Stotts and Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum of just playing so well after the all-star break and just knowing that our schedule is home heavy after the first, you know, you know, 20 games of, of the season. But it, it's, I, I think we are in for some growing pains. And to me, as long as I see the effort being made, there's not really too much you can you can do about it, but if what I saw last night becomes more of the norm than the exception, I think hot seats are going to get hot. I think contracts are going to start to be, hmm, December 15th is coming up. Players who signed in the offseason are now eligible to be moved. I think that that's really going to pick up. So, you know, that's just the name of the game. The, the team has to play like their playoff lives are on the line. And they have to do that starting game one. I mean, the bottom line is the Blazers have two large expiring contracts in Hassan Whiteside and Kent Bazemore. For the most part, you know, if you read Jason Quick, he had a Q&A in the Atlantic, says he doesn't, he's heard a source that says he does not expect either one of those players to be traded at all this year. And, you know, I kind of got that vibe watching Hassan in his Instagram stories, you know, always repping the team. You know, it looks like he's bringing his fish out to Portland. He just got this huge property in the suburbs. Um, Normally, you don't do that if you haven't been given some reassurances Mm. from from the front office. But again, that goes both ways. If they're not seeing the type of reduction or effort that they're accustomed to seeing, especially from someone making twenty four million dollars, 
then I think that flipped can be script, or you can you can flip the script, and that player now becomes a desirable contract to move. Um, so yeah, I, I give them the first 20 games of the year. We still have Damon CJ, and I think that's important to note. They should be good enough on most nights to get it done, and there are going to be a lot of times where maybe we have a turnover where someone should have cut, but they didn't. That's going to come from not playing with one another, um, not knowing certain movements or where somebody likes the ball. I think the biggest growing pain is going to be with Hassan Whiteside and Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. Like, do they like the pick and roll? Where do they like it set? How long does he set the screen? You know, they're used to Myers Leonard and Yusuf Nurkic setting those screens. They're used to that type. One thing I will say, though, is, and then maybe this is credit to Ennis Cantor, but he came in and fit in immediately like a glove. Just leave that out there. So I have a question from Dylan Sage. Um, what do you expect CJ uh, CJ McCollum's production to look like this year? Dude, I think CJ, I said it on Twitter, CJ is going to be a first-time All-Star. Yeah, I think that he's going to produce like a first-time All-Star. Just because who is a... Who would even challenge him a little bit for usage? There isn't anybody, really. Like, he's going to have the ball as much as he can handle. He's going to have to be that secondary superstar for the entire year. There is no you, there is no use of Nurkic, last year's version of use of Nurkic coming through that door. You know, so he's going to have to... T- he's going to have to take his usage and then add a little bit. Cause yo, Hassan Whiteside, I like him. He's not going to be a, a usage monster. He's going to catch the ball and dunk it. So he, CJ McCollum's going to get a whole bunch of extra possessions to, to work with. So I expect that he is going to uh, have a really good year. And I like that. He said he wants to get more free throws because I think that, if that's we, awesome. If, if we look back at this season, and the Blazers finish top four, I think number one, you're going to say Dame did the damn thing, but not far behind. CJ is going to be neck and neck with him in terms of production. If we're able to do that, it's because CJ really upped his level and played at the the level he did against Denver, where that was the 13th best player in the league. I mean, you're really looking at a guy saying, okay, we can truly build around these two players. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They did it once in 2019. They're doing it again in 2020. With the majority of that coming without Yusuf Nurkic. So a lot of pressure on CJ, but from what I've seen so far, he looks absolutely incredible. I mean, he there, there may not be a better guard in the league with the ball in his hands, able to just keep the defenders basically on their heels and he's got one of the quickest releases in the game really not a weakness um in the offense for for cj like pressure i mean pressure either busts pipes or creates diamonds so it's really it's on cj to prove that he's a diamond which i I, if i had money i I would bet on it being diamond man i forgot who did that rhyme oh shit (laughs) i think it might have been john connor um but uh yeah man you got anything else you want to talk about for this uh, first episode back? Another question from Brizany Blazers wants to know how much of Whiteside's issues in Miami are due to signing as the number one guy, which he did in the summer of 2016 when D Wade left to dropping in the order and eventually losing his place. So what was it again? Sorry. 
how much of Whiteside's issues, so I think there are some motivational issues that happened in, in Miami, oh, are due to him signing as the number one guy when he did in 2016. But when D-Wade came back, he kind of dropped in the pecking order. I think it wasn't of... D-Wade, though. I think it was Bam Adebayo's abilities. Um, Last year, if you look at his minutes per game, he was getting 26 minutes, and for a center that is produces that much he should be getting more minutes i think it was bam out of bayou not Dwayne wade coming back that was a big hindrance to his role i mean yo like if bam out of bayou wasn't there he'd be getting 35 minutes a game because there isn't that elite center it's it's james johnson and kelly Oub- no not kelly Oubre, the white one uh olenic olenic yeah so it, i think bam out of bayou was the reason he was a uh, uh he was so low in the i mean he still started but he didn't play the real minutes i mean that that like last year there was a there there was a poll on one of the daily fantasy sites saying if you knew the minutes to any player what what would you be making the most money on and it was Hassan Whiteside by far if you knew what he was going to be playing via minutes you could make a lot of money because he produces but bam Adebayo is younger is on a cost-controlled contract and is going to have another five years on the Miami Heat. Ban- uh, Hassan Whiteside last year, you know, he this was going to be the last year this year. So, of course, you're going to spend more time and resources on a guy like Bam Adebayo. Yeah, for when it comes to Hassan, you're not going to find someone who is more excited about the acquisition th- than you or I. And we all felt that the culture with the coaching staff, with the leadership of, of Dame and CJ, that they would be able to get through to him and get him back to the player that he was in Miami that earned him that four-year deal. You have Hassan saying he wants to lead the league in in blocks and rebounds, and he's basically a guaranteed starter until Yusuf Nurkic returns. I don't know if it's due to the ankle or, or what, but... He just and, and Olga and I kind of talked about this after the game uh, against Phoenix. He just looks like he's moving at half speed, and for a guy who is basically the biggest acquisition that we had in the offseason, a guy looking to really rebuild his reputation, and a guy playing for his second con or not for another Third, contract. Excuse last. me. I would have expected him to play with a little bit more passion a little bit more aggressiveness like if you're getting moving screens because you're moving up there too quick like you're hustling that's fine like okay you know he you could see he's really ready to go he's ready like there's a fire lit under his ass i haven't seen that he 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 just looks slow to me and that is concerning as hell we gotta see it we gotta see it when it in the the season if, if if you're feeling that way in november then yeah we have a fucking problem on our hands but but my, my point though is sage and take this in your job and my job and in your daily life if you're at a place and your reputation gets knocked and you go somewhere else regardless of whether it's your first 90 days of training or you're in your second year trying to get that that raise wouldn't you want to rebuild that reputation as, as soon as possible? Like, wouldn't that drive just to be like, no, I am this person you really thought I was. You know, I am good at my job. 
I yes, mean, yeah, yes, but... we're thankful it doesn't count right now, but man, I, I guess I just would have approached it differently. I mean, not... you, 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 we're not doctors and we don't know how injured he was. There's a lot of factors besides him being lazy. And man, like, I know athletes are, you know, confident, but man, like, it would only behoove him to bust his ass this year. And because he's this is going to be his last contract, really. And you got you want to find a team that's going to pay you the absolute most. So I, I but I am waiting to freak out about Hassan Whiteside when during the season when he's 100% healthy. Yeah, I mean, I you have much more patience than, than I do. Again, I mean, I'm not yo, saying... bro, I was sending you Hassan Whiteside trades in March. Like, yeah, yeah, he's like... a, he's a fantastic player when he's we, locked in. Yeah. I'm just saying I'm not one. I'm not saying trade him now or, or bench him, That that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I'm already having these thoughts three preseason games in from everything that the Miami Heat fans told us. Just not not good signs. We're not heading in the right direction. We need to, you know, beep, 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 back this bus and turn it around and, and, and go go the right direction. Let me go. I, I'm with I'm gonna wait to see for when games actually matter. I mean I yo we play the second day of the NBA season, right? Yeah. I'll put my money where my mouth is. I'll put him on a hundred percent of my no. I'll put him on fifty percent of my daily fantasy rosters because I trust him so much. <laughs> and I'll give him the benefit of the doubt here. He was five for five against Phoenix. We did not look to give him the ball. They had nobody down low that could stop him. But if he's not going to be an integral part of the offense, he's but not... in game one that he was, they were looking for him on that. That, yes, but yeah. against Phoenix, when Damon CJ actually played 30-plus minutes... And how many did Hassan play that game? Um, 21, I believe, because okay. he had quite a bit of foul trouble. But we, we, we look at that, and it's one thing if you're taking advantage of him down low and you're feeding him, and, and he's producing, because you know you're going up against a stretch five and a Frank Kaminsky or Aaron Baines... That that's not the best matchup for Hassan. He's he's a traditional center. He's gonna be there to to bang down low against the likes of a, of a Rudy Gobert or a Joel Embiid. But if you're not using his advantage in offense, and it's a bad matchup on the defensive end, that's a, that's a net negative on both ends. Absolutely. But what if Terry Stotts said, "Yo, uh, to CJ and Dame, hey, we know Hassan's gonna get his. Let's make sure option B gets to shine today." For a new player, I know, I know, but I'm trying Sage, to like no, no, no. I'm, I'm just, I'm just not having it. <laughs> no, I understand what you're saying. I just there's it's... a lot of things we can't see by watching it on YouTube TV, and you know, I was there. Yeah, I was there. Oh well, I was watching it on YouTube to YouTube TV, trying to uh get people to join the podcast network. So, but like, I don't, I don't think this is where we need to be critical. This is this is just for the tune-ups. I mean, yo, you're gonna hear me talk a bunch of shit about myself if he's acting like this in December. But I, I, I think we we got to chill on being super angry right now. Not angry. I'm just uh, disappointed. Okay. Sorry, Dad. That's. <laughs> I. Listen, nobody wants to see this team succeed more than I, but 
when I see bullshit, I call them out on it. And that's how we've been on this podcast for what, six years now. So hopefully the team, they have two opportunities before the season starts to clean well, up. One really, if I mean, yes. you're not going to give up anything that you're going to do in these season to Denver the second. Time. Absolutely. So you have but one. If, if we're, if we're being, you know, Frank and I was making my prediction for opening night right now, I would take, take Denver, you know, streak be damned. Jokic against Whiteside looks like a god awful matchup for us right now. Hmm. Is it in Denver or is it in Portland? Portland. I'd probably go Portland because of the home crowd. If if Hassan gives Jokic that much time to shoot a three as much as he did Aaron Baines, I mean I mean, who the fuck's Aaron Baines though? <laughs> I mean, yo, I mean like they're gonna prepare Hassan for Joker being able to hit threes. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong. Terry Stotts' strategy is to let the big sag off the pick and roll. The, that is the strategy. I'm completely aware of that. It has worked so far. But you still have to try to, to contest shots. And mm-hmm. so. I, I, but I think that the emergency level between Hassan, I mean, for Hassan Whiteside, for Aaron Baines, I think he rebounds well to, holy shit, that's Joker. I better run the fuck out. You know, there's going to be a difference. Yeah, I mean, you, Nikolai Jokic was the second best power, uh, second best center in the NBA last year. First best, I say, I say he's the best. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, and Aaron Baines was a nice third big for Boston. I mean, there's just going to be a difference of you know intensity levels against a guy that made opposing centers look weak. Against him I last guess year. that that again is a huge concern because being a Blazers fan, we have always played down to the level of our competition for as long as I can remember. And that type of thought process kind of feeds right into that. Like, oh, we're playing the Kings tonight. Can relax. Maybe pay attention to Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, but can relax against Harrison Barnes and, and Bogdanovich and and all. We're fine. That's what gets us those losses. Like this is going to be a bloodbath. We have to be on our P's and Q's every single night. And I know it's tough. I know it's mentally grinding, especially 82 games. And trust me, the travel is real. I mean, I can just take a regular vacation and just be wiped out from a flight. These guys, especially from Portland, are traveling three, four, five hours just to get to every single destination. Mm. So I understand you can't be locked in 100% every single night. But they're going to have to try their best to do so just because given the nature uh, of the conference. And, you know, I I just don't want to see us waste this year. Um, I mean, I know know Nurk's out. We'll get him back sometime. And he may not be that Nurk until we need him to be in next fall. But I just don't want to take what we have for granted just because of the successes we had last year. Mm. We cannot rest on our laurels. I mean, Denver is the one elite team like that's in our tier of teams that hasn't had any real continuity changes they've they've been this team for full 82 like for many years so they're gonna have an advantage over us game one just because oh i know what jamal murray wants to do on this side you know he wants to pick and roll and he wants me to fade to the side or whatever like you know so game one might be tough but you're you're absolutely right and if we lose because denver out exit and X's and O's us or, you know, just hit, hit tougher shots, tip your hat to them and say, you know, good job on, on a season opening victory. 
But if they beat us because they're getting to more loose balls, they're out hustling us on the boards, and they're just being overall more aggressive. To me, that just is not acceptable. Not sure. with everything that has happened over the past twelve months. Luckily all, for all, us, all the then we have. Luckily for us, damn near every team is going through a, you know, five rotation players are coming in, five left. Denver is the one team that's like, this is us, baby. This is us. Yeah. So it game one's gonna be tough, but we don't need to talk about that today. We can we can sign off by saying you can hear us on Stitcher, iTunes, Himalaya Podcast, nothing but net radio Tuesdays two to three. And we are now on Blazers Uprising, a YouTube channel. You can see our beautiful faces um on uh uh, uh I think Tuesdays as well. They will be rebroadcasting us, so Yo, you'll be seeing a lot of us this year. So uh, thank you so much for, you know, watching and listening. And we will be back soonish. I mean, we'll be back next Sunday. We will re- We will do our season preview episode next Sunday. We will predict the week's games, talk about what we saw from the final two preseason games against Utah and Denver. Hopefully we have, you know, something better to talk about other than a 16-point loss to the depleted Phoenix Suns. And then it's time for the real deal to begin. Portland looks to win their, what, 18th or 19th straight game in a row against a division rival. I mean, this really could set the tone for the season. Portland gets Denver and then hits the road for four straight. So big time game coming up just 10 days from now. Sage, can't believe it's here, but it's back. And I'm looking forward to kicking it with you on a weekly basis, my friend. Absolutely. And uh, I'm off to... uh... Try and get that 99 in NBA 2K20. So I'll talk to you later, my guy. We got to bring back Sage's 2K corner for oh, this bro. season. Um, so there was a fall patch that really uh, fucked everything up. And it was about 40 gigs of memory for Xbox. And uh, you couldn't... If you wanted to play X, uh, 2K with your friends, you would automatically go to your secondary player, not your best player. So it's it made me lose quite a bit. I only have one player, but my two teammates have two, so it was, uh, we had to be very selective of who gets to be their alt and who gets to be their legit uh, player. But then they did another patch to fix the fall patch that broke the game. But yeah, I'm, I've heard this game's been extremely buggy so far. Oh, it is, but I may I may sound like a, a you know someone talking about their shitty boyfriend, and uh, but my God, when it works, it works so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh man you sound in denial homie the, on some real shit it is a lot of fun but it is buggy as absolute shit <laughs> but i have so much fun playing it that's all hey if it makes you happy at the end of the day do you buddy <laughs> i mean yo people are saying that i play like someone you hate and uh it's it's sad to say but i play a lot like russell westbrook <laughs> I get triple dubs though. Come on now, but it, it's fun, and I, I I really do enjoy this game. Buggy, uh, you know, when you get past the bugginess and you get to see it as it's a as a game, it's really fun. Is two K paying you, Sage? Dude, if they did, you know, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be so poor. <laughs> I wouldn't be so poor if two K was paying me, bro. <laughs> I'm just saying, you're 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 uh, you definitely ride or die for 2K, but I, I appreciate it. There ain't other doggy. 
I talk about video games a lot. I'm ass at every video game that isn't to NBA 2K. I am dog shit at every single video game that isn't NBA 2K. I'm. There were days and weeks where I was on the leaderboards for like the fifth best point guard. Now I'm like in the fiftieth. But like, dog, I fuck with this game. <laughs> yeah, you do. That's your boo. You're in a relationship with 2K. Dog, it, it is. It is. It is something else, but <laughs> it will be back next week for me to talk about the new patches and stuff like that. We need sure. to get some music whenever you uh, drop in Sage's 2K corner. So. Just some sexy fucking, uh, some sexy jazz. Oh, all right. All right. How do you like, all right, we're keeping recording. How did you like the new Sky Zoo record? Oh, it was fantastic. So, As always. So for musically for me, but like. I have been listening to Sky Zoo's new record, but then I have been throwing it back and listening to like Four Five Six by Cool G Rap and Muddy Waters by Red Man. So I'm I am in a really good place right now with my hip hop listening. If you, you haven't I... if you haven't listened to Four Five Six by Cool G Rap, listen to it and then think about like all of your favorite MCs that like use the same type of style that cool g rap does yo he and he is just killing it with the rhymes so yeah shout out to cool g rap and shout out to red man yeah i've definitely been listening to sky zoo pete rock uh been throwing it back to uh black star to live and most def and i'm still on uh big crits latest album so those have been kind of the three that i've been in rotation with that is the holy backboard hip-hop uh picks of the week <laughs> All right, peace out, buddy. I have to, I have to go. This is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go.